saw some Rolos. You know you want to give us some more of those Rolos. We are recording, by the way. Yes. <laughs> um, Welcome to Super Duperstitious. <laughs> the paranormal podcast with scienciness to it that... It- demystifies but maintains the fun i mean we don't always try to demystify if we no, can help it, yeah but, exactly yeah we keep the mist in the room but we just color it bringing like a dehumidifier that kind of helps a little bit with it but doesn't totally get rid of it you're like oh that's what i hung up on the walls oh that's nice <laughs> but i can still breathe really fresh i'm jake i'm wyatt and today we're going to talk to you about some uh lake monsters the big right? beasties of the lakes yes it's high time we finally addressed the high, high tide we finally addressed <laughs> yes it's time we finally talk about things that live in water that go bump in the lake <laughs> is there anything else we want to talk about before we do that <laughs> i don't oh, know yeah i want to mention right at the top we are drinking bear and bramble brewery Bombus Naturalis Saison, which Ooh. was provided to us along with another beer we'll be drinking to- today by a friend of the show, Shomida. Who um, I'm very sad not to have met this exactly. past weekend. But thank you very much for the beer um, and for listening to the show. Yes, indeed. And I understand she'll be submitting some topics for us to talk about as well through contact at superduperstitious.com in case you forgot. So You want to talk a little quieter if you can help it? Yeah, here we go. I'm just going to talk about the rest of the show like this. <laughs> Perfect. Let's just get into our NPR voices. Yes, the NPR it. voice. Please send in money. We're sponsored by Monsanto now. <laughs> but um, yeah, the beer is super good. Thank you. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. Now, uh, before we get into our lake monsterness, I do have some updates on the Phantom of the Chicago. Oh! Was Act 37? Something like that. The Phantom of the Chicago, for those of you listening for the first time or who just forget a lot, <laughs> is what we're calling the sightings of some sort of winged humanoid creature flying over Chicago, seen a bunch of times, especially over the right. past year or so. Right. Uh, whether it's one or many, we don't know. They've been described as bat-like and very large and mm-hmm. humanoid, often mm-hmm. with glowing red eyes even. Exactly. Generally creepy. Very spooky. They haven't really like interacted with anyone outside of just being kind of uh, threatening looking. So these are all from the past couple weeks. They're all from phantomsandmonsters.com, our... Good old friend Lon Strickler curating these. Tuesday, April 10th, 2018 at 8.30 p.m. Central Time. A woman and her partner were in the area of South University Ave at East 72nd Street, Woodlawn Community, picking up their daughter when they both noticed a huge, dark-winged being gliding overhead. Wait, so this just recently happened? This was April 10th. Today is April 24th. So, yes, two weeks. Two weeks. Two Tuesdays ago. The being was at an approximate altitude of 50 feet or so, swiftly mm. gliding north towards downtown Chicago. Funny, they often seem to be flying from around the water-ish area towards downtown. Right. Um, they watched the being until it was shielded by trees. The area was well lit by the streetlights. It made no sound and never flapped its wings. Spooky. Both witnesses agreed and described the being as an owl man with a wingspan of mm. at least 15 feet and a thin human-like body of approximately six feet in length. Hmm. The wings were shaped like an owl, which I picture from that word, each <laughs> wing is just an entire each owl wing. shape. <laughs> I will Photoshop that together. <laughs> uh, which the witnesses have seen in the neighborhood. They emphatically say that this was not an owl or any other bird. They were well aware of blue herons and sandhill cranes, as they both are lifelong residents of the Chicago metro area, and that there uh, was no chance that this was one of those creatures. Wow. I asked the witnesses if they thought it could have been a flying device or drone. Both confidently stated that this was a living being and not mechanical. Wow. Both seemed nervous and confused by what they saw and asked what I knew about this winged being. Neither witness was aware of the previous sightings in the Chicago metro area since early 2017. No kidding. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Another person found Lon's post about this stuff on Reddit and wrote in uh, to him about an encounter from that same week, so two weeks ago. I was driving down Lake Street and had just turned off Central Ave, so it was between Austin Ave and Lake Street, near the Chicago-slash-Oak Park border, Hmm. uh, last night shortly after 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Anyway, I was heading west, and just slightly to my north, I saw this massive thing in the air. It kind of swooped behind an apartment building, so my view was blocked. I only saw it for about maybe 8 to 10 seconds, but it was enough to leave me absolutely stunned. Yikes. I grew up in Chicago and have never seen anything like that before in the city. Getting the shivers. 
My first reaction was maybe that it was something that escaped from a wildlife rescue, but this thing was massive, like easily over 10 feet wide. Now that I know I'm not crazy and other people have seen it, I feel better. Like, for real, it was huge. I've never seen a bird that large before. I spent time in the army and was military police, and this thing was no drone, that's for sure. I keep trying to come up with any logical explanation for what I saw last night, but I'm completely baffled. KM. Hmm. Lon then followed up with KM for an interview, which I've abridged here. Oh, cool. Uh, The witness estimates that she was watching the flying being for 8 to 10 seconds. She turned onto an alleyway in order to get another look at the being, but was unsuccessful. The witness states that the being had a 10-foot-plus wingspan with bat-like wings, and it was dark in color. The wings never flapped, so like the previous account, it was just gliding. Just gliding, yeah. Uh, The body was quite long and thin, approximately 6 to 8 feet in length, and there were two appendages slash legs. Then she noticed a separation between them. Uh, she Ugh. did not notice any further structures on the body or head. The witness did seem a bit nervous while talking to me and was very surprised at the number of sightings in the general area since early 2017. Man, oh man. She had no previous knowledge of the phenomenon. Lon. It sounds like the... Yeah, it's just interesting that these people are still seeing this thing, not knowing that anyone else has, mm. being freaked out by it, and not recognizing it as any other you know natural thing they may have otherwise seen elsewhere right right. we previously discussed the possibility of these being bald eagle sightings because those have recently moved back into the area and are making a comeback and could be don't call it a comeback (laughs) could be new to longtime residents of chicago because they've been um their numbers have been low for so long Mm -hmm. and recently have been like hatching up a storm in 2017 But uh, it doesn't explain a lot of the other aspects, like, you know, saying definitely Mm. bat-like wings or having legs that they could see because eagles wouldn't have their legs just trailing behind them. That's more of a kind of heron thing. Right. And then people saying, oh, it wasn't a heron. So it still leaves some element of of question to it. That's so interesting. Oh, my goodness. Also, this past Friday, April 20th, some old lady saw a big thing fly over West Lakeview and it disappeared. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much all there is to say about that. They may have been high <laughs> April 20th. Oh, yeah. Uh, but no, they didn't really I have much explanation it. beyond. We saw, oh, we saw it, it flew, and then they made it sound like it just kind of vanished into thin air. So I was like, mm-hmm. mm, don't know so much about that particular mm-hmm. report. Mm-hmm. So that's what I got for Phantom, the Chicago updates this week. Now I'm ready to take a, a plunge into the lake yes. and tell you about <laughs> some, some stuff in a lake <laughs> that's spooky. Did you find more spooky stuff in the lake, Jake? I did. Well then, goddammit, tell me all about it. I have for you a traditional tale from what is now British Columbia, as retold mm. by S.E. Schlosser. As retold by Ronald McDonald <laughs> in a hamburger commercial. All right, go with that voice. Just kidding. Go on. I'm not sure that he had a specific voice. I don't know. He just served, yeah. <laughs> he never said words. It was a really, really poor marketing strategy. <laughs> he did just kind of <laughs> smile, didn't he? He didn't. He didn't say like encouraging, like you can do it. He would talk, but he didn't have a specific voice. When he, he just oh. sounded like a guy. <laughs> hey kid, you could do it. <laughs> there you go. Get old Ronnie's <laughs> mac and cheese. So if I had to explain to him what the Big Mac actually was, <laughs> I've just been having these huge bowls of mac and cheese. This isn't right. <laughs> When I said Big Mac, I wanted a big bowl of mac and cheese. Anyway, go on. (laughs) His mind was full of dark thoughts, and the demons spoke to him. His wild eyes and words frightened his people, and he became an outcast, shunned by all. One day, in a fury of rage and pain, he attacked old Khan Hekan, a local wise man. The demon-possessed man killed the venerable sage on the shores of a beautiful lake near his home, and then ran away, afraid of what the people would do to him when they found out. But the gods had seen the murder and were angry. They captured the demon-possessed man and transformed him into a terrible serpent as a punishment for the murder of the good Khan Khan. Then the serpent was cast into the lake, condemned forever to remain at the scene of his crime. The people living near the lake called the serpent Naha'a'itik, or lake demon. They would offer sacrifices to it before traveling upon its waters, but the offerings did not always appease the monster. Many times, a fierce storm would fall upon the lake, and Naha'a'itik would rise from the roiling waters to claim a life. Hmm. Once a man who was watering his horse at the lake saw the monster rise up from the depths and pull the poor animal under. Hmm. And so the curse of Naha'a'itik continued to plague the residents of the lake. Then the white man came, and they scorned the tale of the lake demon. They began taking timber from the land nearby and floating the logs down to Lake Okanagan. One evening, 
As a local man worked on the raft of newly sawn logs, he chanced to look up and saw a long serpent with a horse-shaped head and a green undulating body. It raised its head out of the water and stared deeply into the man's eyes. The man started shaking from head to toe and scrambled backwards towards shore. The demonic eyes of the giant creature gleamed with malevolence, and he scrambled up the bank hmm. and ran for his life. Yikes. Not long after, a resident set off in a canoe with his horses roped behind, leading them across the lake. Suddenly, the horses began screaming and thrashing in the water, and then disappeared underneath the waves. I do imagine the horses just being like, ah! <laughs> ah! Just human <laughs> screams. Ow! Yeah. Oh, no! There is something in the water. The canoe tipped backwards, and the man desperately pulled his knife and cut the rope just in time to save himself from being dragged into the murky depths. Mm. The horses were never seen again. Ooh. Thus was Naha'a'itik first encountered by the white man at Lake Okanagan. The monster was seen many times through the years. Often it appeared like a long tree trunk or a floating log, but it would move <laughs> against the current. Hmm. Swimmers vanished, boats were attacked, and sometimes the monster would rise up from the waters and grab birds from midair. Damn. In 1926, the monster came and was rechristened Ogopogo after a line in an old song. It has been seen many times and continues to haunt the waters of Lake Okanagan to this day. Ogo. Pogo. So the creature in question is what folks now call Ogopogo. And the song in question is a 1924 English dance hall song called The Ogopogo colon The Funny Foxtrot. The Funny Foxtrot. It's dumb and I'm going to go with probably racist as best as I can tell from the lyrics. I don't mm. know. It's just weird. I mean, it begins with the narrator referring to walking through Hindustan, which is what people Ugh. for a while call just the Indian subcontinent. Goddamn. Um, and so I'm going to go with, yeah, I'm, sure, I'm assuming yeah, it's the pretty, song is racist. Pretty fucked up. Probably. Yeah. Not actually sure why people decided to then call the monster Ogopogo based on the song, unless it was just a deal where it happened to be on the radio at the time. I really I don't wonder. know. There's no connection other than just, oh, well, it is a Lake name. Lake Okanagan, Ogopogo, it's got a little bit of a homophone it, going. It could be that, yeah, just people being dumb. And being dumb. And if it's a, like a foreign other... Like, oh, these things sound the same. Let's just say it. Yeah. yeah. People are stupid. People are stupid. White people are especially stupid. Yes. <laughs> In this case, it's just... That's, that's kind of the moral of a lot of these um, stories that <laughs> come from way, like really far back folk stories of creatures is that white people show up and then be dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. The major sighting brought up at the end there is a supposed instance where, in 1926, 30 or so cars of people were lined up along an Okanagan Mission Beach and reported seeing the same thing some kind of serpentine creature in the water. This long line of cars was trying to get through. And this long line of cars is all because of you. I think I know the lyrics. It's, by, it's by Cake. from. It's from Comfort Eagle. Oh, I don't know Cake very well. <laughs> okay. I don't like sweets. <laughs> After that, we got a slew of sightings all throughout the 20th century. I got all these from ogopogoquest.com. I'm just going to skip through them. There's a bunch. So, in 1947, some boaters all... OgopogoQuest.com. Yes. It just hit me. Go it's on. It's a slow, slow uh, sinking in it's there. A nice it's a slow burn, yeah. Um, in 1947, some boaters all saw the creature at once. Mr. Cray, one of these witnesses, <laughs> described the creature as having a long, a quote, a long, sinuous body, 30 feet in length, consisting of about five undulations, apparently separated from each other by about a two-foot space, in which that part of the undulations would have been underwater. There appeared to be a forked tail of which only one half came above the water. From time to time, the whole thing submerged and came up again. So hmm. a pretty classic sea serpent kind of, kind of description. Kind of a sea serpent, yeah. Like, yeah, like all the kind of rising humps going the under the water. The wave. Exactly. Originally called the sea serpent wave. <laughs> In 1959, Mr. and Mrs. R.H. Miller and Mr. and Mrs. Pat Martin reported seeing, quote, a tremendous creature with a snake-like head and a blunt nose swimming 250 feet from their motorboat. The group watched the unknown animal for over three minutes, after which it submerged. Damn. Again, there's a bunch of other ones I'm skipping over, and I'm just gonna, hitting the more interesting ones. Sure. October 1978. Bill Stisiuk? Stisiuk? I don't know. S-T-E-C-I-U-K. S-T-E-C-I-U-K. Stisiuk? Yeah, why not? Sure. Was crossing the bridge from the west side of Okanagan Lake towards Kalauna. Also, don't know how to say the name of that town. He noticed a movement in the lake and immediately stopped his car. All the traffic behind him also stopped, and he was soon joined at the rail by about 20 other onlookers. 
All 20 or so people saw what appeared to be a head with three black humps behind it, perhaps 60 meters away, protruding out of the water. Bill and the onlookers watched the creature swimming for nearly a minute, after which time it uh, disappeared beneath the water's surface, leaving a substantial wake. Hmm. A lot of the sightings go on the same way. People notice the thing, they stop and look at the thing, it goes away. (laughs) So, what is it? Indeed. The descriptions are kind of vague. Some of them have, like, they do pretty consistently describe it as being serpent-like. Right, So, you don't have, like, there are a lot of descriptions likening it to the Loch Ness Monster, but... Mm. That one gets more and more increasingly described like a plesiosaur, whereas right. this one is more just strictly serpent-like, so kind of serpent. they don't yeah. go quite in that specific direction with the, it. The oar fish factor. Yes. That actually is one of the possible things people have said that it looks like is an oar fish. Oh, interesting. An oar fish, of course, is uh, an aquatic creature that is colored the same as your energy. I was going to say it's a fish that uses a rowboat instead of <laughs> swimming on its own. <laughs> I like it. To get into trying I to understand what pa- this... It's a paddle guppy. <laughs> <laughs> to better understand what could be going on here, for starters, Lake Okanagan is 84 miles or 135 kilometers long and between 2.5 and, and 3 miles, 4 and 5 kilometers wide with an average depth of 249 feet, 76 meters. So it's a decent amount of lake to cover. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has been searched pretty thoroughly, particularly during a 1991 expedition to find Ogopogo, which included use of a submersible and an ROV and everything. Like, they really, really went for it. You may recall from having been alive in 1991 and Mm -hmm. the fact that we're talking about this today that they did not find Ogopogo. Indeed. But it is a huge lake after all, so it's possible that it could have eluded them. Uh, as for evidence, I can quickly zoom through some of the photos from that same page of sightings, Ogopogo Quest, mm-hmm. if you like. They are not thrilling. Also, I just remembered there is a dance based on Ogopogo, and it is called the Ogopogo Go Go. Ogopogo Go Go. We already established it's the funny foxtrot, Wyatt. Yes, it's they, true. They should have called it this. It started several, several different dance crazes. <laughs> <laughs> so first off was a photo from 1981 taken by a Wachlin family member. Wachlin that's, family that's, member. That's waves. Yeah, it's definitely just waves. So I'm not even going to bother to read their description because it's just clearly waves. Uh, that's a drawing. Um, <laughs> so let's see. 2001 to 2002, Dan Basaraba of Peachland saw the strange phenomenon pictured here twice and took photos both times hmm. first was on july 19th 2001 and exactly one year later to the day he's able to take this second image as well the left one is maybe ducks and the right one is waves unambiguously waves yep and that one it could be three ducks and like just some waves around like it's yeah or it something. could just be waves could just only be waves and decides the part that's breaking hmm. um this is closer more. to what they were describing yeah here. august 9th 2004 john casorso took video of his encounter. So this is interesting. This is another example. I'm going to talk about video evidence in a minute here. Yeah, but this cool. is what yet another video that there's no video. It's just stills from the <laughs> video. There's no video, eh? Oh, you're doing your... It's it's in British Columbia, so you're doing your Canadian oh. accent. <laughs> hey, man. I didn't mean it. <laughs> so this is just some stills I'm from Canadian. the video. He, he saw his family were sleeping on a houseboat. I didn't know this still existed. On Lake Okanagan, <laughs> when suddenly at 7.30 a.m., the houseboat began rocking violently, waking everyone. As John reached the deck, he was amazed to see something very large swimming away. So he ran to get his video camera and was able to shoot some incredible footage of the object for approximately 15 minutes. Hmm. Yeah, all we get are these four still images that <laughs> look like waves. They could be, I mean, they could be humps of something. And so the other thing, too, that's cool they about this lovely. is that there are some different animals that live in the area that could look like that too mm. but yeah it's this uh, is more interesting the fact that all the other water is still you wouldn't expect one it's very single, erratic yeah it's a it's like a rogue wave that's <laughs> very specific shaped with nothing else going on around it so that makes it kind of interesting oh go pogo <laughs> this is one of my favorites because this is just such silliness september 7 2006 michelle and giles i guess bellevue from West Bank took this photo of a form just below the water south of the Kelowna Mission area on the east side of Okanagan Lake. Hmm. The photo was taken from their boat at 2.30 p.m. Estimated the object was about 25 feet long and approximately 50 feet from the boat. Okay. And it looks kind of like the Ningen. 
from a few episodes back. Big time Ningen factor. Like some kind of just thing, something under the water. And totally incongruous with the other, like 99% of the other descriptions. The other ones all look like dark shapes. And like oh. sinuous, eel-like yeah. bodies where this is a very manatee-ish. Exactly. I was not expecting us to use the exact same made-up word. It's fucking weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so it does look, it kind of looks pretty photoshopped. Here's a photo from March 2014. Jeff Cottom from Ontario sent this photo. And you see a couple of Canada geese and then something in front of them, which they seem totally okay with, which suggests to me that it's just a piece of flotsam of some kind. Mm -hmm. But it could be, you know, something. Here's one from May 24th, 2015. Mm, it is zoom, a zoom and enhance. Inside view mirror. It's <laughs> just like someone's car is like diagonally <laughs> underwater. It's just, just the mirror sticking up. It is a weird shape, but it does not look biologic. Well, it could be biological, but not biological. zoological anyway. Yeah, yeah, It could yeah, just yeah. be like a log sticking up or something. Right. The subject popped out of the water about 200 meters from shore. Bill grabbed his camera and took a series of shots. The object stayed in the same spot for almost a full minute, rotating its head as if looking around. That's At the weird. end of which time it jumped out of the water, displaying its head and a portion of its neck before diving and dis disappearing beneath the water. That's interesting. I mean, it could also it could be, be a bird. Yeah, it could just be like some kind of aquatic bird that does this sort of thing. Right. And that, I believe, is the last of the interesting photos. What's so, this thing down here? I was watching a documentary about the Ogopogo. They are saying it was sighted close to Rattlesnake Island, so I was looking on Google Earth, and I see this thing. It's to the right of the picture, going left towards the island. Kind of looks like front flippers as it's going towards the left. Here's like a street view facing towards it. It's like two front flippers and two side flippers. That's interesting, but it also looks totally photoshopped. What I think happened here is when they were getting the satellite topographical it's warping the stuff, boat. a boat was there and they got the wake and to the To leave boat. a wake that size, you would need to be going yeah. fast as fuck and be huge. Yes, so probably a boat. Yep. Now, what we really want here, so what we really want, we tried to find. What we really, really want. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I want to, huh? I want to, huh? I want to, huh? I want to, huh? I want to see an Ogopogo <laughs> to actually be on camera. <laughs> I'm totally lost now. <laughs> uh, what we really want here is some video. Yes. The most famous piece of video evidence was recorded in 1968 by Arthur Folden. Says Benjamin Radford of Live Science, quote, on a sunny day in August, Folden noticed something large and lifelike out on the calm water. Folden, a home movie buff, pulled out his camera and captured the object in the water. The film begins with a noticeable disturbance in the water. The object begins moving to the right of the screen and picks up speed as it swims, creating a noticeable wake. So when this happened, folks made some conclusions right away. They began estimating the height of the trees on shore, and using that, they calculated that the length of the animal in the film was about 40 feet. Mm. Uh, people then started comparing it to the Loch Ness Monster and began making conclusions about it being some other kind of prehistoric creature mm -hmm. locked in a lake mm -hmm. as well. Unfortunately, I cannot for the life of me find this goddamn video. I searched all over the place for this Arthur Folden video from 68 right. and I couldn't find it anywhere. I found a video someone purported was from like, wasn't it was supposed to be from the same kind of time period from the, I think they said the 70s. It was like a Super 8 thing. Someone has shot. It's like, oh, I found this in my grandparents' attic, and they had yeah. hidden it away right, for all right, this time. Right. I was like, this is bullshit. And it wasn't. It was not this um, fold-in footage. So I don't know where that is. People keep talking about it, and I've seen some stills from it, but I cannot find the video. I don't know why Ogopogo's videos don't seem to be anywhere. <laughs> it's very frustrating. Weird. No Ogopogo. Exactly. But back to Radford's article. Quote, I was asked by National Geographic to participate in an expedition searching for Ogopogo in 2005 and to evaluate Folden's film. Through scientific experiments, we concluded that the object Folden filmed was in fact a real animal and not a wave or a floating log. Huh. But its size had been greatly overestimated. Yeah. It was probably a waterfowl or beaver that was too far away to be properly identified. Uh, the new video of Ogopogo by Hulls seems to be very similar in that regard. So this same article that I am quoting from was actually initially about a new piece of video evidence recorded by Richard Hulls, and Radford says that it looks to be a, a similar kind of deal. Hmm. So let's watch that real quick. Oh, I do yay. have that one. Nice. All queued up and ready to go. Let me okay. make a full screen for you. So it's very short, but here is the footage. Shaky somewhere. cell phone footage zooming in, and it's... Uh, oh, oh that's they it. cut away from that real fast. Let me uh, back it up. Again, weird waves. Weird-looking waves type things, maybe... Um, then it's like cutting between some f this 
person showing different photos of different purported purported uh, sightings. Sightings. So Oop, here's here we, yeah, here we go. Back to the full footage, and that's it. <laughs> okay. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> and that was the best one I could find. It's great. Damn. Yeah. So it, it was looks very like brief. Everybody. Extremely brief. It was like here it is all goes. It's over. Yeah, I'll link to it, but you won't be very excited about what you find. Yeah. From Radford, quote. So what exactly did Hulls record? The video quality is poor and the camera is shaky, so it's hard to tell what the object is or even if it's moving. But a closer look at the 30-second video, why can't I find 30 whole seconds of it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Reveals that instead of one long object, there are actually two shorter ones. Hmm. They seem to be floating next to each other at slightly different angles. So as you can see, they're kind of two things sort of like at angles to each other. Yeah. Even the, f- like what, five seconds we got In of the it? The split second, like one yeah. second basically. <laughs> There are no humps, nor head, nor form, only two long, darkish, more or less straight forms that appear to be a dozen feet long. Branches. Perhaps not coincidentally, Lake Okanagan has tens of thousands of logs harvested by the timber industry floating just under the lake's surface. Ooh. The last thing I want to cover is this video I found of a quote-unquote mysterious animal swimming across Lake Okanagan. And it is uh, a little bit more in line with something that you and I have been meaning to talk about for a while anyway. Oh, so. I think uh, that kind of dimes it for me, but I'm ready. Oh my god, this is the loud one, right? Yeah. Holy shit, it's so loud. There's a mysterious creature swimming across the water. Well, now. What are we looking at it there, looks Wyatt? so, so much like what people describe of Loch Ness, but it is... Yeah. A North American moose. Yep. Alsace, Alsace, the uh, the moose. Just and the guy's like, it's not a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cute little moose. The big thing they mentioned in this video is, like, yeah, the moose are very aquatic. They like, they love the water. They're very good at swimming. Uh, it's not super typical for them to swim across right. an entire gigantic lake, but if they want to, why the hell not? They, why the hell not? They can totally handle it. Oh, yeah. And so what's cool about this as a possible sighting, and here's it, you know, people seeing it later in the same day, still swimming. Just never got tired of swimming. It was uh, just cruising around. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of descriptions of not only Ogopogo, but a lot of different... So here's an image. Yeah, there you go. This is just what I was thinking of. Ogopogo, and it looks so much like a it's moose. It's the same. So, so many different sightings describing lake monsters, not just Ogopogo, but a lot of them in general do mention it having a horse-like face or things like that. With little horns, which little are horns just even. the yeah, ears. The, and there are some stories of, like, say, the Loch Ness Monster. People seeing it walking in front of their right um, in front of their car, look at them, have, like, a horse-like face, walk into the water and swim away. Right. What else could do that but a moose? Like, moose do that a lot. And they're, they're a huge animal. If you don't live in the northern hemisphere, like the northern part of North America, or they do live all around the entire world above a certain latitude. Right. If you haven't seen one in the wild, they are very, very impressive. They're massive. No matter how many times you see them, they're always really, really impressive Truly, to truly see. monstrous, <laughs> as they were. Yeah. And, I mean, they're very tall. They're very lanky and strange looking. They Much like big, us. Long, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they have that big, long face, and they can swim like a motherfucker. So, if you were to see one... Uh, walking in front of you in the middle of the night, it would scare the hell out of you, regardless of whether or not you knew what it was. Right. And if you didn't know what it was, it would very much surprise you, especially when it just swam away into the lake nearby, even more so if you knew there were stories of a monster in that lake. Yeah, if you're already primed for it, and you're just like, oh, that must be it. Oh my god, it's happening. The monster is here. For sure. So, it seems like there is an initial legend to go behind the Ogopogo tale. Naha'itik living in this lake. There's at least one story I saw from someone trying to say that that is not necessarily the actual correct interpretation of the story, and that right. there isn't a lake monster. It's like a monster that's just supposed to be more of a spirit associated with the lake, not an actual creature in the lake. Sure, sure. Um, but the guy writing about this, I don't like. I don't want to assume anything about any indigenous people's stories and traditions. No, and indeed. There's this particular guy saying that a lot of all you know all these colon uh, colonial colonizers making all these assumptions about what the stories are colonial but he yes but he himself is as far as i can tell just some white dude who seems to know best about mm-hmm. the earth in that area of British Columbia. over here yeah. so i don't know what to believe in that sense so right there does seem to be an initial 
story behind this lake. Whether or not that actually is traditionally true for those peoples there, I don't know. By traditionally true, do you mean like um, objectively validated rather than just a teaching story kind of thing? It could easily be a teaching story as yeah. far as that there's a lot of those. Right. And having it be about the lake where you live near, why not? Right. So I'm just saying as far as the idea of there even being a story to exist, like is it a longer term folkloric creature than just people seeing stuff in the lake recently and being like, oh, it might be a monster because that's a popular thing now? Mm-hmm. Or was it mm-hmm. something people have been talking about for longer than that? Right. Either right. way, I see what you're it saying. seems like it could, like you said, be a teaching story that doesn't have to actually be literally true even to the people who are telling it. And that it also could be any number of natural phenomena that we are totally used to, like a moose or a log or a log <laughs> or, you know, waves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is true for a lot of different lake monsters in general. Right. That can that same kind of explanation can be applied. Right. So that's where I fall on Ogopogo. I fall in very much the same category. I think it's uh, people not recognizing what they're seeing right off the bat and latching onto the first thing they can reach for, which is the tales they've heard. And so you get this kind of uh, pop cultural heritage of misinformation, which people love. It's very thrilling. And it's much more fun to um, be out on the lake and having a time, you know, to yourself, day out and about, and, oh, did I just see a log or did I just see Ogopogo? I'd rather have seen Ogopogo. Exactly. It's it's a much more fun way. I mean, I, I we both want to believe for exactly. sure exactly but you yeah. know and nothing nothing there's nothing wrong <laughs> you guys are <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing wrong with enjoying recounting a tale of having quote-unquote seen a quote-unquote lake monster in but, a quote-unquote uh, lake in a quote-unquote lake in a quote-unquote <laughs> the North quote-unquote scene <laughs> but uh to actually try to support that as a tangible, credible, scientific observation is... Yeah, uh, some kind of kind biological of, creature that has not yet been identified. It's it's foolhardy. I mean, there are much, much smaller creatures that occupy the same space, and uh, we see them all the time. Yeah. So, so like, for example, size, there's the Lake Champlain Lake monster is named Champ, and <laughs> is almost definitely just Lake Sturgeon. Because right. the Lake Sturgeon there can be like 10 feet long. Right. Like a fish that big is... In you, itself monstrous. Do you know what the biggest sturgeon ever is uh, called? What's that? Why the sturgeon general? <laughs> yeah, I mean, can't argue that. <laughs> um, so yeah, there are a lot of natural phenomena. There's a lot of cool biology happening in lakes that we can be impressed by without having to make it some kind of fantastical beast, right? And where to find it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So before we move on to your segment, Mr. Shell, let us take a ride on down to Shadowlands Roulette. You want to go over the rules of Shadowlands Roulette for us? Uh, yes, indeed. So Shadowlands is an ancient website on the fine interwebs. Thousands of years ago. And uh, folks started compiling stories of hauntings from all over the world. All over the world. We got some from the United States. So they cover pretty much all the states as well as the District of Columbia. And we have some from various uh, locations around the globe. So they basically segregate into two major categories, the United States and the rest of the world. And we have had two massive uh, roulette wheels constructed for our use to pick um, a location. And then we will read an an entry from that location once it has been selected. And those Uh, entries are blessedly unedited, so we will read them as they appear. It's a crapshoot. Would you like to go first? Yes, I will first uh, So you can flip. Flip the old coin of doom. And you will need to spin the wheel of other countries. The dreaded wheel of other countries. Alright. I, don't, I still don't know why we made this thing so so cumbersome, but let's see if I can do this. It's huge. Get climb, can I find if I climb up on okay, it? Okay. Oh, yeah. Me. Okay. Uh. Ooh, it's going. You really got up on there. Yeah. And it's still... Oh, wait. Okay. It's lo- okay. Uh, we got... Ooh, 11. What's 11? El Salvador. El Salvador. Oh, I'll scroll around on the one entry. <laughs> 
we'll have to cut that part of the wheel out after today. <laughs> I've randomly selected the only entry for El Salvador, <laughs> which is Ilo Bosco Canyon Sayalup. Oh my God, Sayulup. You want some help? Yep. Obasco Canyon Sayulapa, yeah. All right, there you go. It is said to be haunted by La Llorona. Oh. The woman who drowned and killed her two kids to marry the rich rancher she fell in love with. That was over a hundred years ago now. So now, if you go there and yell the Llorona's name three times, she will come walking up to you. (laughs) But... Ooh, better run, or she'll try to take your soul. And you hear the cries of the two children when they were drowned. That is the weirdest retelling of the story of La Llorona I've ever heard. There you have it. All right. All right. I guess that makes it my turn. So let me flip the 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 coin coin of doom. It's also a heavy coin. (laughs) It's a a dinner plate that we just (laughs) smash against the wall. So you'll be spinning the dreaded wheel of states. All right, let me climb I up didn't here. Mean to make this, yeah, get up there. You want me to spot you? <laughs> okay, you got it. Oh man, you really got it. Oh, it's okay. going. All right, and we are going to read. Jake, you will have to read entry forty-four, 44. which is Texas. Texas. Alrighty, Texas. Now, uh, randomly scroll through all these many, many pages. Oh, of, shit, there's a buttload. There's a lot of stuff in Texas, and I landed on San Angelo, Howard Johnson Inn. There have numerous sightings and occurrences in this hotel. <laughs> One room at the far end of second floor has had reported cases, red eyes looking at guests. <laughs> Sounds of someone inside when the room was vacant. Staff members have entered and found nothing. One staff member was in the room and started to leave the door handle spun around. As he tried to leave, sounds were heard from within the empty bathroom. After several more tries, the door opened. A little later, he opened the door from the outside on the first try and left the room on the first try. What the fuck is he talking about? I genuinely have no idea. The door has been fine ever since and was never examined by maintenance. (laughs) A figure described as a cowboy-like figure in casual clothes has been observed in the lobby, bar, and pool area. Spied for just a moment, it vanishes instantly. Room doors on second floor and third floor have been heard opening and closing behind staff members when the entire floor was vacant. A misty figure has been seen flying down halls. Both staff and guests have observed this sight. Guests have heard voices call out from the back opposite the clerk at the front desk. <laughs> what the guests didn't know, the clerk was all alone. There is more, <laughs> but this is enough. What? Damn, dude. That is the San Angelo uh, story of the Howard Johnson Inn. Well, the Howard Johnson Inn does not sound exactly spooky, but that was spooky. I it was very guess. spooky. I'm so spooked. Well, I guess we'll have to try that again on Next time on Shadowlands Roulette. Roulette. <laughs> Nailed it. All right. Well. On to another tale of watery terror. Indeed. So... Allow me to begin with some accounts. Some accounts? Oh, 17. Several. 17.76. Oh, I think it's a 17 accounts. 17 accounts. No, I have upwards of 50, but I won't read them all. Fuck. 17.76, leaving Bonaventure Proyart, French missionary to the Congo River, publishes History of Loango, Kakonga, and Other Kingdoms in Africa. In his book, among many other observations about flora, fauna, and the native peoples of the region he explored, Proyart recalls having seen enormous footprints from a creature which, quote, must have been monstrous. The Hmm. marks of the claws were noted on the ground, and these formed a print about three feet in circumference. Wow. 1909. Multiple accounts, one by Lieutenant Paul Gratz and another by famed big-game hunter Carl Hagenbeck, from travels through the Congo River Basin, detail reports of a creature known by the locals as Nsanga, a purported, quote, half-elephant, half-dragon, unquote, said to inhabit the Lake Bangwulu region. As best as Gratz can tell, descriptions by locals uh, match those of sauropods. Hmm, sauropods. So things like Brachiosaurus and Indeed. Apatosaurus, otherwise known as Brontosaurus. Indeed. The great, big, huge, long-necked dinosaurs that which, were gigantic. Which we will talk about 
in just a moment. I figured we would. 1913, German Captain Ludwig Freher von Stein zu Lauschnitz, oh God. quite the long name, was ordered to conduct a survey of German colonies in what is now Cameroon. In his official report, a description of an enormous reptile alleged to live in the jungles. According to one of those close to von Stein, he, quote, worded his report with utmost caution, knowing it might seem unbelievable. The report reads as follows. The animal is said to be of a brownish gray color with a smooth skin. Its size is approximately that of an elephant, at least that of a hippopotamus. It is said to have a long and very flexible neck, and some say it has a horn. A few spoke about a long, muscular tail, like that of an alligator. Hmm. Canoes coming near it are said to be doomed. The animal is said to attack the vessels at once and to kill the crews, but without eating the bodies. It shoots them. It just shoots them, takes their money, and eats it. The creature <laughs> is said to live in the caves that have been washed out by the river and the clay of its shores at sharp bends. It is said to climb the shores even at daytime in search of food. Its diet is said to be entirely vegetable. This feature disagrees with a possible explanation as a myth. The preferred plant was shown to me. It is a kind of liana with large white blossoms and a milky sap in apple-like fruits. At the Sambo River, I was shown a path said to have been made by this animal in order to get at its food. The path was fresh, and there were plants of the described type nearby, but since there were too many tracks of elephants, hippos, and other large mammals, it was impossible to make out a particular spoor. Spoor is sense or tracks, basically remnants indicating an animal, with any mm. amount of certainty. It's a new term for me. Mokele Mbembe! which translates to one who stops the flow of rivers is a legendary water-dwelling creature said to inhabit the Congo River Basin. Hmm. Um, according to the Western interpretation of many traditional accounts, amazingly, Mokele Mbembe <laughs> is described as, and Jake, stop me when I start to wriggle entirely off the chain, <laughs> alive, okay, highly territorial, All right. a plant eater, mm. a straight-up member of Sauropoda, Okay. I.e. the lizard-footed infra-order of the lizard-hipped dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Should be stopping me by now. We can talk more about sauropods in a minute, but I want to return to Mokele mm. Bembe for the time being. For me, the most striking aspect of the Mokele and Bembe phenomenon is the sheer volume of reports that this critter has received. Uh, so in addition to the handful I read to kick off the segment, we have... An expedition by the Smithsonian, hmm. a no-nonsense scientific institution, if you're not familiar with it, from 1919 to 1920 to collect plant and animal specimens, during which, quote, African guides found large, unexplained tracks along the bank of a river, and later, in a swamp, the entire team heard mysterious roars, which had no resemblance with any known animal. Interesting. We also have consistent details from accounts throughout the first half of the 20th century by Alfred Smith in his memoir, Trader Horn, Ivan Sanderson, a cryptozoologist, Leo von Boxberger, an explorer, and Frau Ilse von Nolde, who was a nice lady, all describing a very <laughs> similar unknown beast around the waterways of the Congo. In 1966, even Riedel takes a picture of a large footprint with three toes northeast of Lubomo, which is notable given that hippopotamuses have four toes. Hmm. Uh, ten years later, herpetologist James H. Powell Jr. headed to Gabon in search of the creature. Uh, his was ostensibly a trek to study crocodiles, but he side-hustled up some mokele. <laughs> Bembe. Time. So, on this journey, Powell located a claimed eyewitness to an animal called Inyamala, matching the monstrous descriptions from Alfred Smith's m memoir, which kind of inspired his trip. That's the traitor horn. Hmm. So, his memoir, he mentions this creature, and that kind of inspired Powell to get out there. So, right, an eyewitness claims to have seen this uh, creature. Uh, natives also stated, without Powell's asking, that Inyamala ate the flowering liana, just as von Stein had been told half a century earlier. Kind of an interesting little uh, parallel there. Yeah. Apparently, Powell showed illustrations of various animals, both alive and extinct, to natives, and they generally suggested that the Diplodocus was the closest match to Inyamala. Okay. Um, and the stories continue in this way. I'll drop a bunch and have just a few more 
just for the sake of not reading like 50. Um, a 1980 expedition took Powell back to the region, this time in the company of Roy Mackle, a University of Chicago biologist who had a passion for the cryptozoological, so probably a kindred spirit in some ways. Um, they were both struck by the consistency and specificity of the accounts of the native peoples. Quote, animals 15 to 30 feet long, 5 to 9 meters, uh, most of which was made up of a snake-like head and neck, plus a long, thin tail. Hmm. The body was reminiscent of a hippo's, only more bulbous. Again, informants invariably pointed to a picture of a sauropod when shown various animals. And on it goes through the 80s and 90s, expeditions by teams from around the globe course through the Congo in search of basically grown-up Littlefoot. Not to be confused with Bigfoot. Exactly, exactly. I almost titled my section for today, like, instead of Bigfoot, Littlefoot or some, something like this. <laughs> Big Littlefoot. Big Littlefoot, exactly. But yeah, in more recent years, uh, it's basically just uh, television fodder now. So we've got sort of quote-unquote expeditions that are undertaken to quote-unquote find Mokai the Mbembe. Uh, these are your destination truths, your monster quests, mm-hmm. and your beast hunters. Uh, my favorite expedition title by far, though, has to be the name given by Extreme Expeditions, the Congo Millennium Expedition, a.k.a. Dino 2000. <laughs> Not nice. my creation, but I like it. So, yeah, in total, there have been upwards of 50 efforts to gather evidence in support of a real still live, presumably breeding population of sauropods. Wow. Well, if Mokele Mbembe is a sauropod, what is sauropods? What am sauropods? I'm sorry, yeah, what am sauropods? Uh, They definitely were a thing for a great long while. Uh, So if you guys don't know, you're about to get a little dino lesson. Mm -hmm. Sauropoda were an infra-order of saurician dinosaurs. So again, in plain English, they were both lizard-footed sauropoda of the lizard-hipped saurician dinosaurs. These were vegetarian megafauna of their age. Uh, Like our modern elephants, their massive bodies were supported by four, like, tree-trunk-sized legs. But that's pretty much where the similarities end, outside of being vegetarian as well. Um, They had an incredibly long neck across the entire order, um, up to six uh, six times the length of a giraffe's neck and small heads, so this is great equipment for browsing on plants of many heights. All of this uh, gear was counterbalanced by a similarly lengthy whip-like tail, and depending on species, sauropods stretched up to about 40 meters in length, so that's around 130 feet, um, and upwards of 100 metric tons in mass. Absolutely massive, man. Incredible size. So to put this in perspective, um, the longest terrestrial animal alive today is the reticulated python and this reaches lengths of just around seven meters in length or so um, which is still incredibly long yeah and so compare that to 40 meters and the most massive terrestrial animal um, is the african bush elephant again currently in existence today and that checks in at a comparatively measly 6.8 metric tons which is still just so it's huge massive it's so massive and yet that is dwarfed so even just one of the larger sauropod species would be equivalent to 15 of the largest living terrestrial animal in existence today so it's just crazy to think about how completely these animals would dominate the landscape if you were to like come upon a herd of them yeah but unfortunately because it would be pretty awesome to see that the chances of mokele and bembe actually being a species of sauropod um are essentially nil uh despite the charm of the surviving dinosaur hypothesis uh short of a parthenogenic sauropod so parthenogenic species are those that can reproduce fully without sexual encounters they're able to simply produce a new generation. There would need to be a breeding population of these beasties. This also applies to the other lake monsters um, in the world. Yeah, um, so when we talk about all these different sightings for basically centuries, to have that either it has to be basically one immortal individual <laughs> right? or it has to be enough of them that they can keep reproducing and keep having generations go on. Right. If so, that means there have to be quite a few of them exactly. to, for that to be possible. So same here. Exactly. And I mean, there are large creatures in existence that do live an incredibly long time. So, you know, you think of your uh, Greenland sharks, for instance, which are, 
I think uh, estimated to live what upwards of like 300, 500 years or something, something incredible. Like that. But these are also creatures that basically don't do very much. They and they live in super cold temperatures. Exactly. Their their metabolism is uh, grindingly slow, mm-hmm. and so which is part of the way they can even pull that feet off. So to have something that's swimming actively around, surfacing, breathing very pure air and especially something like a sauropod which would be galumphing around on the land that ain't gonna live upwards of 300 500 years i would i would wager and for them to survive the cretaceous mass extinction which is what i'm just about to get to in fact sorry no nonsense please i want to hear well pretty much exactly what you just said they probably wouldn't (laughs) they probably wouldn't that is exactly right so uh what I was just about to say is even if it were parthenogenic, we might still expect to see more than one. And, um, of course, this would dismiss the pure, sweet, untainted fact <laughs> that all non-avian dinosaurs got tombstoned into the history books <laughs> 66 million years ago. Which is to say that they ate way too many frozen pizzas and they died. <laughs> yes. They got red barroned into the... <laughs> um, That's not delivery. It's extinction. Exactly. Yeah, the Cretaceous Paleogene Extinction Event, a.k.a. the Cretaceous Tertiary Extinction Event, so you can hyphenate that as, or abbreviate that, I should say, as the KPG or KT uh, Extinction Events, depending on your uh, preference. Um, You may have heard geologists or paleontologists mentioning the KPG or KT boundary when looking through sedimentary layers along a cliffside or at a dig site. It's where where the transition is between... The one and the other, and after that boundary, you do not find dinosaur skeletons anymore. And that is because this sedimentary layer, which is relatively thin and happens to be detectable all around the planet, practically, uh, marks the period during which the Earth was basically wrecked from an impact by an asteroid measuring a few kilometers across. So an estimated three-quarters of all plant and animal species on Earth died out, including, with some exceptions namely crocodiles, sea turtles, and a few others. All tetrapods, essentially four-legged creatures, weighing more than 25 kilos, or just a mere 55 pounds. That would include us if we were kicking it when that uh, asteroid happened upon our our little blue orb. So we have this table-wiping event to thank for the amazing diversity of animals that uh, followed, and which we are now obliterating. But that's a topic (laughs) for another time. Uh, But the point of all this is sauropods are dead. Yes, And furthermore, the sauropod images used by Western explorers for ID calls by native folks were based on outdated hypotheses about the appearance and biology of sauropoda. Body structures would not have been quite right to what was actually the living creature. And the long-beloved theory that sauropods were semi-aquatic swamp haunters has uh, since evaporated. So Yeah, now we know they were really totally terrestrial. Terrestrial all the way. So... It's misinformation begetting more misinformation. Gotcha. I draw on Live Science's great article covering Mokalium Bembe for my next section a little bit here. We both have some Live Science stuff going on here. Oh, Thanks, right Live on. Science. Yeah, thank you, Live Science. You always, uh, you always get it right. So you always keep that science live. <laughs> yeah, one one might say. Um, so that said, it is no accident that the concept of a still living dinosaur would explode onto the scene at the turn of the twentieth century paleontology was absolutely popping off at this time as they say it was a hugely growthsome period for the field but paleontological theories were still very much in their infancy so i would describe it as a time of sort of exceptional physical rather than theoretical discovery if i can put it that way um so in other words speculation was as much a part of the analysis as anything in um the face of like tons of a seemingly ever expanding horizon of data like people were finding new bones and new you know putative taxa and species and things that had gone extinct years and years ago like every day so people were just like god where does it end like yeah who knows what could be out there so this kind of speculative mindset it's not a natural but it does help reveal the psychology behind the sort of dinos live mind state mm-hmm. i mean these monsters definitely did rule the earth once and just maybe they could still be out there today 
So that's sort of the thinking. Right. Add to this the kerosene lamp of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's 1912 novel uh, called The Lost World. You guys may have heard of it, which was set in the remote Venezuelan, in a re- remote Venezuelan jungle where dinosaurs still live. And you have a veritable Chicago fire of imagination. <laughs> <laughs> and further, our appreciation of this kind of media has itself sort of managed to survive extinction to this day. So in such franchises as Jurassic Park, for instance, the sequel of which was appropriately named The Lost World, yeah, Dino Fever uh, is sort of a pop sensation. Um, and I think back at the turn of the century, it made very quick bedfellows with the chronic Western urge to elevate itself by drawing distinctions between so-called civilized moral society and the grand elsewhere and the grand other. Mm -hmm. So the remote jungles of Central Africa and the Congo River Basin, well over 1.5 million square miles of poorly explored by Western civilization wilderness, uh, was about as elsewhere as it got for many Westerners and offered sort of the perfect backdrop for all sorts of armchair tomfoolery, if you will. So why couldn't a dinosaur still be out there? You know what I mean? Like maybe most of them got killed, but uh, maybe a few escaped and they're still there today. Yeah. So that fuels the imagination for uh, theories supporting uh, Mokalium Bembe as a living sauropod. Which totally makes sense. And uh, yeah, to this day, despite all evidence to the contrary and a lack of evidence and support, theories continue to be proposed regarding what this thing could be, even though we have no proof of it its existence outside of a handful of accounts. Right. So, for instance, um, a website, exemplor.com, suggests somewhat playfully that Mokalium Bembe could be perhaps some kind of semi-aquatic rhinoceros uh, yet to be cataloged by mainstream zoology, perhaps something like a species of Paraceratherium. Am I saying that correctly? I think so. Paraceratherium were monstrous hornless cousins of the modern rhinoceros they lived millions of years after the dinosaurs and millions of years before humans but they have the distinction of being the largest terrestrial mammal ever to have lived with massive bodies and very long necks uh think of sort of supersized giraffe equivalents of a hornless rhino so some specimens were estimated to have been over 20 tons so absolutely incredibly titanic still not approaching sauropod levels but certainly larger than some of the sauropod species that ever existed the the numbers i mentioned earlier are like the the upper limit of what we can confirm paraceratherium went extinct long ago and they never lived in africa but modern rhinos do and exemplar offers that maybe some similarly long-necked but as yet unknown species could be a more tractable explanation than straight up dinosaurs yeah i don't really buy it at all but especially um, when you think about how many times western cultures have moved into the area and sought out every large animal to try and kill and mount on their walls <laughs> exactly exactly true um i do appreciate that it's a non-soroid offering but still and i especially appreciate it because you better believe people still think that a sauropod is out there yeah. so for instance Nine eight six six five seven Caesar Bautista <laughs> strongly supports the Dino theory on the Mokalium Bembe entry on Cryptids, our good old buddies Cryptids. Wikia. Wikia. There's no escaping that the poor quality and long windedness of Caesar's or Caesar's compositional skills betray a perhaps drunk or otherwise zooted mind, but his post still does a nice job of capturing the psychology of the speculative believer for me. Lay it on me. So, yeah, rather than needing proof of reality, this approach demands proof of fraud. That's the key distinction. Okay. So here the world is a big and unexplored place, and until the evidence is actually in your hands, everything is possible. Okay. It's optimistic. Yeah, I'm trying to put a nice spin on it. So, quote, I believe it is a sauropod. The locals have nothing to gain for making it up or lying. These are honest and truthful people that are seeing this creature. I do believe it exists. It's probably so rare that lots of people don't think it exists. There doesn't always need to be proof when it comes to nature because at any time, day or year, someone may come across one and like I said, it is probably as rare or rarer than the Megamouth Shark and Saula. 
We hardly know anything about our planet. Sure, if it's a dinosaur, it may be impossible. Don't say that it is impossible, that dinosaurs can't still exist. Who knows? Just because you don't find one or a population doesn't mean that they can't still exist. An archaeologist said that Troy never existed, yet he found Troy someday. Scientists will discover some dinosaurs still living in the undiscovered parts of the world. Satellites don't help at all. We humans can't go to any of the places the animals would adapt to the environment <laughs> over time we are different we use our intelligence period <laughs> oh i'm getting winded just hearing that we are just mainly focusing on looking for new planets that's going to take even longer than looking for these cryptids cave paintings show that dinosaurs lived with man at the same time and tribes and people around the world are still seeing these creatures and don't say that it is misidentification because one they know what a native species is two they know they would also know if it is deformed but no, they described living dinos. We don't know what it is out there, so don't just say that there is nothing else because eventually we will discover a living population of dinosaurs. So he gets a little off topic in a couple points there, but otherwise... He's a little bonkers town, but he's uh, he's an optimist. He is. And um, he wants to believe badly. He does. So badly that he is sparing with his periods and used pretty much three <laughs> of them the entire time yeah. I was reading. <laughs> Um, so yeah, this, uh, all gets at the heart of what I want to drive home with my relatively short segment today, which is that some ideas are just too alluring for people to drop. Uh, the mind loves the thrill of the unknown. So it's important to one, recognize and recalibrate when you have literally no evidence to support your claim (laughs) or your ideas. This is a message for all of us. And two, acknowledge and appreciate when you are confronted by incontrovertible evidence against your (laughs) worldview. You need to be able to readjust. Yeah, and just because the thing that you're learning about isn't as exciting initially as the idea you had doesn't mean it isn't still cool. Exactly. So you can still be excited about it. It may not be what you were expecting, but it's something else also fascinating in its own way. Right, exactly. So it doesn't make it any less special. Exactly. If anything, it's more special for being tangibly real. (laughs) Yes. Um, So anyhow, that's my uh, segment. Excellent. So one question I know is on everyone's mind is, Jake, Wyatt, the KT boundary, mm-hmm. why isn't it CT boundary if it's the Cretaceous period? Mm. And to them I can say that's because C was already taken by the Cambrian period. Oh, there you go. I can lay that particular piece to rest. I know everyone was fretting over throughout your they entire were like segment. sweating bullets. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but no, it's, that's really cool. I didn't know actually about the, this being a particular story of a supposed dinosaur still living in sub-saharan africa it is bonkers yeah and um it remains actually one of the best known cryptid topics i guess in that community and i actually didn't Hmm. really know much about it at all until i turned sites for this week's topic but um yeah there you have it it's it's i can see where everyone's mind would go to in finding the appeal but uh yeah it's a bunch of hot knots (laughs) So, yeah, you can see that our, our general take this week on water-dwelling creatures <laughs> of uh, mysterious origin is that... Get fucking real. <laughs> yeah. we, we love this kind of stuff. I, I mean, I know growing up, I was <laughs> yeah. wanted to like, know more about like, a wanted to find. Oh, hell yeah. The, Nessie like, was Nessie the bomb. Stuff. Exactly. Absolutely. But as you get older and as you look at the evidence that exists... It's like, okay, see more logs. Yeah. See more waves. <laughs> get used to what those look like and stuff. <laughs> No, not to make fun of folks who think they've seen a sea monster, but you didn't see one. <laughs> yeah, now while we do think that it's, we do want to find these amazing cool creatures in the world, not all of them, not every single one can actually be real. Exactly. And these are examples of ones that we do not believe. And hey, you know, if uh, if suddenly a body washes up on the shoreline and uh, they have incontrovertible evidence, then there you go. I'll be the first one to post about it on Facebook, I'll tell you what. Not if I beat you to it. Yeah. <laughs> Except you guaranteed will be up earlier in the morning than I will. So It's true. Yeah. It's true. So there's our lake monster episode, guys. Hope, we hope. may we may try some I mean, there's many, many types of lake monsters and things like that in the world Indeed. that we haven't yet covered. So we're not going to just say this is the only time we'll talk about aquatic creatures. Creatures, yeah. But um But this kind of long necked plesiosauroid ish yeah that is BC is that's pretty much, pretty much a one it. and done yeah yeah unfortunately and, you know the idea of the moose being an explanation for these different creatures that was something i we didn't even think that, about yeah until you and i went to the exactly. international cryptozoology museum in portland maine 
And um, it was kind of mind-blowing. So thank you, I guess, Lauren Coleman for yeah, that. Yeah, Lauren Coleman pitching that particular idea, which makes so much sense. It's it's very nice. Be so. on the show, please. Yeah, please uh, come We're on the show. We're only an hour away. Just, just, let's know your schedule. We'll come up. Get your crypto butt down here. Either or way. Or we'll go up there. Yeah. yeah. Drive down here to be on <laughs> our show. Drive down, be on the show. <laughs> Immediately go home. You pay for your gas, bring beer. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, immediately go home. <laughs> the moment we the finish recording. we're done, get the fuck out. But anyway, thank you guys thank so much for joining much. us again this week. Uh, we're happy to have you. We're very happy much. to have your stories. We're looking forward to more stories, more beer. Wonderful beer. Thank you again, Shomita. Um, that's such a generous gift. And um, again, please, I'm sorry I couldn't meet you myself. Please do send us more beer via, <laughs> via mail email. or email. <laughs> exactly. Pour the beer into your computer and then type in. <laughs> Contact at superduperstitious.com. And we'll catch you again next Backslash week. Backslash beer. Yes, indeed. And yeah, we'll see you then. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. But this long line of cars is trying to get through. And this long line of cars is all because of you. We don't wonder where we're going or remember where